With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that local shouting, it's Dana and Jay. It's Dana and Jay. All right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Jr. Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you. On a Tuesday, Jay, we're on a roll. Three three pods in three days. You know, they're going to get sick of us. They're no, they're not. Hey, they're, we've got to, if they're getting sick of us, we got a special guest today that that maybe they, they can quit listening to us for a while and listen to someone more interesting voice. All part of our grand plan, right? You're yes. sick of us. You got the walkout <laughs> that's already sitting uh, on you from uh, the game after the Atlanta game on Sunday. You, we did the live room yesterday. Uh, which was about 45 minutes of, of Q and a great questions. Thanks to everybody that joined the athletic live room. Uh, if you're, if you've not never done it before, you can hop in, uh, to the live rooms and anybody can listen, whether you're a subscriber or not. If you're a subscriber, you can chat and ask questions and hop on stage, ask questions. We appreciate everybody that does, especially Natasha B who gives us our, uh, our calming Hawaiian ocean sounds, uh, at the end of every every show so we have that and today our regular podcast but yes special guest today so uh in in a little bit we're going to uh be bringing in Bengals offense coordinator brian callahan uh coming off one of the most absurd offensive days of his career i'm gonna quiz him jay (laughs) on how well he knows about the own absurd days he's been a part of in his nfl career we'll see how he does see how his memory sparks um I, I assume he'll do like most things when talking about great offensive days and just go directly back to Peyton Manning. But yeah, which spoiler alert would be a good way to go with this one. Uh, <laughs> but so we're, we got a lot of things to talk to Brian Callahan about. And so we're going to kind of focus on that. Yeah. Hear a little bit more from him than us. We'll have that coming up in a few minutes when he hops in, but going to be fun. Happy to have him on. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, he's, he's so good. He's so interesting. You know, a lot of times these coaches are, they they kind of fall back on cliches and and they they don't offer a lot, but I, I think we're really lucky across the board. Darren Simmons, Lou Anarumo, Zach Taylor, and Brian Callahan all have, a lot of times have really in, most of the time have really interesting things to say, and um, I, I expect that to continue here in a little bit when Brian joins us. Yeah, will be, and and I I particularly you know there's a really an unfiltered nature that uh, that yeah. he'll offer, and it's real. In, you know, if you're into it, if you're into the X's and O's, few people like to talk about football as much as Brian Callahan <laughs> and the and the intricacies of it. I I love that aspect of it. I feel like I, we learn something almost every time, and hopefully uh, you can learn some stuff along with us today as he hops on. Um, so. 
we've got all of that. We're going to bring Mo Egger in, of course, uh, with our normal Tuesday spot. We will have some Arby's. We'll have we'll recap some Growler bets and run passer boots. Jay will have some stats. We're going to hear from Luana Rumo talking about Cam Taylor Britt versus Eli Apple. So you can hear what he had to say about where that stands as we saw the big turn of Cam Taylor Britt getting some run. Um on Sunday, Jay has a story up detailing that more as well on the site, so you can make sure you go and and check that out. Plus, other notes in there, including Trent Taylor bat flip nugget, backflip <laughs> nuggets, which I really appreciate. That's harder to say than I thought it would be. Trent Taylor backflip nuggets. It's almost harder to say than it is to do. Yeah. Uh, no. No, it looks very hard to do. There is no chance in hell that I could actually do it, but more uh, insight on that. I also told Trent about our grand ping pong at the 50 plan, uh, mm. where it's, you replace the coin toss with the team's best ping pong player playing a quick game to seven at the 50-yard line in front of everybody. He, as you might imagine, is in support because it would probably <laughs> elongate his career by about 10, 15 years. He'd be like Brady, right? Teams just keeping him around uh, to go win the coin toss over and over again and, and whip people at ping pong because he uh, he's pretty good at it. Uh, all right, so all that stuff is kind of going on. Um, let's quickly jump into news. There's not a ton of it, so we can do that before Brian comes in. Um, you know, Injury updates, I guess, were probably top of the mind yesterday. The biggest one, yeah. Trey Hendrickson. You know, you've got a defensive line that's already dinged. DJ Reader, Josh Tupo. Now Trey Hendrickson has the stinger that took him out of Sunday's game. Um, they're going to manage him through the week and see. You know, I think there's a there's a chance that they can that he'll be able to play on Sunday, but um, that'll be one where you got to kind of see how it goes. He has played through stuff like this before, so we'll see if that ends up being the case again on Monday night uh, against the Browns. Yeah, Zach sounded optimistic there. He sounded optimistic about Logan Wilson as well, uh, coming back from the shoulder injury. Uh, not so much DJ Reader. They, they, he's eligible to come off the IR this week, but it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. He didn't rule it out, but he, it didn't sound like that was going to be the case. It, it, it almost feels like DJ's more set for after the bye. Yeah, that's always kind of felt like where that was going to land, especially you, you get that extra week. Think long term, more than short term about having DJ Reader, a guy that's so critical to you for the longest. Don't don't rush him back. Give him a chance to make sure he's 100 percent back uh, and you get the bye week in there kind of at a perfect time uh, for him. So it's kind of a really that's the basics of the news. There's not a ton of uh, that stuff going on. Most of the news is on the Bengals offensive explosion. Mm -hmm. Over the last few weeks, and that's a perfect opportunity for us to bring in a friend of the program, Bengals offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan. What's up, Brian? Hey, fellas. How are you? Doing good. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Doing great. You know, are you in what, what's your beard status right now? Because you're you, you look like are, is, do you prepare? Are you preparing for winter at this point? Because sometimes you go full clean. I never know who we're going to see when you pop up here. <laughs> well, let's keep you guys on your toes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it grows, it grows in quick. So I don't, uh, it just kind of happens organically. And as it grows, uh, it's sometimes it's winning streak related. Sometimes it's sleep related. Sometimes it's nothing to do with anything at all. And it just sort of comes and goes. So it's, uh, I can change my identity quickly. You can, is this, is this a current winning streak right now? Is that, is no, that this is just a more laziness than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something, something I also can appreciate. All right. I wanted to start off uh, with you here with some trivia. 
So as you might be aware, uh, Joe Burrow now has two games in his career with 400-plus yards, no interceptions, 80% completion rate, and three touchdowns, which is an absurd stat line that doesn't even seem possible. Yep. Um, how many times do you think that has been done? Jay, I'll pose this to you too in mm. NFL history since the merger. How many times do you think that stat line has been accomplished since 1970? Probably not mm. a ton, maybe 10 times, 12 times. I'll, I'll, yeah. yeah, I would say 15. 15. You guys are you're very close. 13 times 13. since wow. the merger, that line has been accomplished. Twice by Joe Burrow now already in three seasons, which is which is just insane. My other trivia question to you, do you know the most yards thrown for by a team that you've been coaching in the NFL in a game? Do you know what oh, game it was? Um, no, I mean, there's a couple in Denver that I feel like would have been would have been pretty high. That Baltimore game to open the 2013 season was up there. Yep. I don't remember the exact number. I know we threw seven touchdowns, but if you throw seven touchdowns, you probably threw for a lot of yards. Um, <laughs> you did. 445 in that game. That's why it felt like that was somewhere in that 400 range. Um, yeah, that one and maybe – there's one more in that – there's at least one more in that season, I think, that was, that was pretty remarkable. The next season, 2014, Arizona comes to Denver – that's right. You throw for 476 and four touchdowns. That's right. Um, but I would say you're right. Ravens at Broncos, 445, seven TDs and no picks. I haven't looked up that stat line in history, but I can't imagine there's many of <laughs> I don't those. think there is. I don't think there is. Yeah, those are, those are fun games when it rolls like that. What is that like? I mean, when there are games like that, like Sunday, like that game against the Ravens, you, you you know, what is that like for you from the booth? Does it feel like we can call anything? Does it feel yeah. like, man, so, uh, the game plans? Were, just what is that like for you? Usually when that starts happening, it doesn't really – you start feeling like it doesn't matter what you call. You know, when, when you feel like the quarterback's in a rhythm and he's seeing the defense well and he's delivering the ball the way he – uh, you think is possible that he could, you know, all the things that you hoped for during the week uh, sort of all come to fruition at one point and you just feel like it's rolling and the um, the ball just keeps coming out and you keep catching the ball and you just feel like you can just keep calling passes, which is kind of what we did. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good feeling. It feels like there's no way they're ever going to stop anything you're doing. It's a, it's a, it's a feeling that I think we all chase every week. Uh, <laughs> But it is it is it is fun when that happens when when guys are in a groove and, and the quarterback's seeing it well and delivering the ball on time and uh, it's a lot of fun when that happens. You probably go into a lot of games feeling really good about the plan. Did, I mean, does it? Did, do you ever go in? Maybe this week was a week because the way that Atlanta was structured and and their injuries. Do you, do you kind of have a feeling when those big games like the ones Paul was referencing or maybe this one? You have an idea in the back of your head that this this could be a week where it, it's going to be really really special. Yeah, you do. You have a, a feeling. Um, I've had those feelings before and they've not gone the way that uh, <laughs> I thought. So it's it's hard to trust that gut feeling all the time. But um, yeah, there's definitely times where, where you go into a game knowing that it's got the potential just based on uh, the scheme you're facing, you know, how the practice went that week, the the, the mentality of the guys that during pregame. There's just sometimes things just feel right. And they all line up together and, and, it, and it ends up looking really good. And that's kind of what happened. Um, on Sunday, but 
Um, I've definitely had those feelings and it hasn't happened the way that I thought it would too. So it's probably not very reliable um, to base all that on just a, a feeling prior to the game. I, I, I really like and appreciate, and I've probably bored you too often with, with plays, anatomy of plays. I find it fascinating where they start, how they evolve, how they become something great plays that never see the light of day. Like I, I find that fascinating. The, the play to Boyd has been much discussed, the touchdown early on uh, yeah. about how you guys knew during the week it would work. You had repped it. Ted Karras is calling it out in the Saturday night meeting. <laughs> like we're hearing all – you hear these stories now about how you get something, like something that's been so discussed about trying to hit explosives against cover twos and things like that. What I, I want to pull up something – Cam, can you pull up the screenshot for our YouTubers? I just, I, I just, how you create a play that ends up with two dudes running free and the safety on the ground just <laughs> looks dead, looks like he's been shot from the upper deck and is just yeah. laying there. I mean, to pull up a play, and now granted, that's a tough moment for Richie James. Like that's a tough, that's a tough moment. He was put in the heck of a spot. Yep. But I mean, when you're going through the week. I mean, what is the anatomy of that play from the very beginning of why you thought it would work, repping it to know it would, to then seeing it? What is that like for you guys, and what's that process? Uh, well, we, we, we really, it all kind of starts. Um, we have a, a really good list and library of things that we like versus coverages. And so you have these, these beaters and, and all this uh, play design that's designed to beat here's our cover four beaters. Here's our two Tampa beaters. Here's what we like versus cover three. And here's what we like versus man. And you have all these things that, and you sort of start the process by what, what is the structure of the defense? All right, well, they're a, they're a two Tampa style defense. And so we start pulling up the things that we think are going to be able to, to give that structure some problems. Uh, this has always been one that's um, given to Tampa an issue because you, you put speed in the safety and you in your double move in the safety really because T's running a, a, a an out and up essentially. And mm -hmm. so now you have a safety and a bind and you got guys on two different levels. So, which is really difficult for, for Tampa two is if that safety gets uh, tight while well, the ball is going down the sideline, if he gets uh, a little bit wide, well, the ball is going right down the middle, just like it did here. And really, and this, this poor, unfortunate circumstance for this safety, he ended up <laughs> on the ground. Um, but what it does is it puts a lot of stress on him. And he had so much stress that he fell down, uh, which is ideal. If you can make a guy fall, great. But um, so you start repping these things and, and you, you got to feel good about it. We spent a lot of time on landmarks and where the ball is going to be and where the receiver is going to end up. And, um, and, and you got to rep it a bunch of times to feel good about the timing. And we actually ran this play against the New York Jets in 2019. It's the same exact play to TB. And uh, TB's landmark was terrible. And he ended up coming all the way to the near hash and we threw the ball over his head and just didn't look good. Look, miscommunication. Um, you can pull that one up at some point, but bad looking play. Uh, and, and obviously over time and in years of repping the play, we've, we've gotten a lot better at it. And so, um, you know, we knew that uh, a lot of earned first downs against these guys, they were a big first down, earned first down to Tampa team. Um, and so we, we, we told our guys after the first, first earned first down, we were going to call it. We got the first down on the first play. So it was <laughs> the second earned first down. Um, but we felt really good about when it was going to come up and uh, and how it's going to look because we we invested a lot of time in it. How did uh, did Ted Karras crashing the meeting? Did he get to have first pick? It seems like everyone we've talked to kind of knew that play was going to hit. Why why was Ted the one that got to pick it? Uh, we picked by age, 
So we go from youngest to oldest, and, and Ted was in there. And, and usually when you when we pick our touchdown calls, a lot of them, um, unless we got a play that we feel really good about gaining 50 or 60 yards early in a game, um, most of the touchdown calls come off the red zone list or the high red zone list. And, mm-hmm. and But occasionally you pick one like that in the field, and, and uh, we repped it and looked good in practice, and, and Ted felt pretty confident in it. So um, so did we, which is good. How many times in practice did it go to Boyd versus T? Uh, this week it went to Tyler most of the time, most um, of the time. but it has, it, we have definitely two weeks prior, we've thrown it to T, um, as we've kind of worked on things. And I think what's, what's fun, probably people don't know about when you, when you do run plays like that is, is we spend a lot of time working on these things that, uh, they don't just always just get put in for, for a game week. I mean, we, we spend, you know, a couple of weeks working on things. So we feel really good about it when they come up. Um, and that's when we, we've definitely put some time into, and, and it came up at the right moment and was a huge play for us. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's take me back for a second, which week three, mm-hmm. you guys have had two rough weeks. You've got two games and five gays coming up. It's a real critical juncture in your season. You're trying to figure out how to get the offense on track and what exactly is going on. What were the conversations like in there, and what did you feel like were – I want to don't want to call it like a breakthrough moments, but what really helped you guys at that point work through the mess and and find a way to recenter things and get it to where now you've won four or five and you're on the roll that you're on now? Yeah, one of the biggest issues early in the season was just negative plays. You know, we had had a bunch of different you know interceptions, negative runs, too many sacks. Um, and those are things that really can derail your rhythm on offense and they put you well behind your sticks. And now you're facing second and tens and second and twelves and third and tens. And that's, that's a hard way to live life, um, particularly in the early part of the season against the two defenses. We play with the Steelers at their full complement and healthy and, and the Cowboys, which obviously have turned out to be uh, one of the better defenses in football this year. So uh, we ended up with some how do we eliminate those? How do we how do we eliminate negative plays um, and what do we do well? You know, what do our guys do well? What's what's the best positions we can put them in? And uh, it wasn't an aha moment by any stretch. I mean, we, we had a feeling that if we just stop hurting ourselves, we'd move the ball a lot better. Um, and that's part of it. So we, we put ourselves, um, you know, with Joe, trying to get him to get the ball out faster, be a little more efficient on first and second down. Uh, we don't need to make super plays on every first and 10. We can we can live for another down. And, and he's done a great job of, of managing his expectations on, on when and where to extend plays. And and when and where to be smart um, and take take a take a throwaway or take a short completion and then we'll move on to the next down. Uh, but at least we're moving forward and we're and we're making positive progress and not getting knocked back. So 
Uh, those are things that probably helped us early. And now things have really started to click and guys are really playing at a high level. They're on the same page. And it's been it's been fun to, to climb out of that hole and, and find ourselves in a pretty good spot here. Yeah, so much of that early part of the season and even up till now, you're talking about getting that run game going and it, it the cohesion, the offensive line and, and all that goes along with that. And, you know, you, you have a game like you had last week. I mean, is it is the run game where it needs to be right now? Is it is it OK if this is if this is the peak or is there more there? Does there need to be more there? Can can you live with just letting Joe cook, so to speak? Yeah, you certainly can. Um, I think, you know, obviously you'd always like to run the ball more and better. Uh, mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that is, you know, if you take our last, I think, three or f- I think maybe from weeks four through seven, uh, we're big on the efficiency part of the run right. game. And I think in the last three weeks, I think we we're in the top five in, in, in rush efficiency. I think we're at 60, right around 60 percent. And so that's really, really good. If you very rarely you're going to finish a season at 60 percent efficiency. But um, I think when we've run it, it, they've been really efficient. They've been five yards, five and a half yards, six yards. Um, and we'll take that every time in the run game. And we've we've obviously leaned pretty heavy into the shotgun run game. So um, you don't have as diverse a scheme when you're in the gun. Uh, there's a lot less uh, tricks and gadgets you can do. But um, we've kind of limited those things and, and tried to run a little bit more downhill. And I think that's helped us. And I think we've been really efficient. And so we may not ever be a, a 30 carry for a 150-yard team, but, um, you know, we might be a – 35 throws for a 481 yard team sometimes. And so I think that's a, that's a fair trade off, but um, you know, there's always ways to, to run the ball better. I thought we ran the ball at the end of the game when we had to run it. Uh, I thought we ran it well, you know, we took off eight, eight minutes and 45 seconds of the fourth quarter, which I think we've shown we've been able to do when, when we've needed to. So, um, you know, to answer, I think it's going to be different every week, depending on the schemes we play, but as long as our run game efficiency is up high, um, the yard total doesn't really, uh, doesn't really matter to us as much. Um, but as long as when we run the ball, we're running it forward for for four, five, six, seven yards. Um, I think we'll take that. And I know you guys view it right. I mean that the a lot of your passing game, the quick passing game, is just are just long handoffs, right? I mean some of Correct. the stuff that you're seeing, whether it's Joe getting the ball out quick or some of the designed. Okay, they're going to play that deep, quick check down to the flat, and Mixon's really kind of found some stuff out there on the outside. You know, whether it's making guys miss or laying shoulders into guys. Has that kind of been part of it too, where it's like you almost view those as <clears throat> as runs? They're just they're mixing touches essentially. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if his, if he comes out of the game and he's got with his runs and catches, and some if he's got eight to fifteen touches and he's closing in on hundred yards, it's probably a good day for our offense overall, whether it's runs or or, or catches. And so, uh, a lot of the quick game stuff is definitely considered you know long handoffs uh, to some degree especially some of the, the empty quick game. I mean, those those are four and five yard throws that, that turn into eight and 10 yards and 12 yards. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll take those just as often as we'll take a five yard run. That doesn't really, how we get those five or six yards doesn't really matter to us as much. Um, but I think Joe's done a really good job, Burrow, of, of finding completions um, in the pass game that are quick, that don't put us in harm's way, that get, get guys the ball in space and, and let them do what they do. And um, I think that's a pretty effective way of playing uh, offensive football. I want to say I particularly enjoyed the fake bring Hayden Hurst back this way play on third. That, that was that was really well. I mean, who yeah. who who's responsible for cooking those wrinkles up? I mean, is that like does anybody claim that one with uh, oh yeah, yeah that was me or oh yeah sure I mean we all we all have our we all have prideful moments when something that we've we've put together works. That was Dan Pitcher. Um, okay. We've actually had that's another example of a play that has been in our third and, and, and two to four plan for, you know, probably four weeks now. 
Um, mm -hmm. And it's one that we've we've worked every week and felt good about. And sometimes they just come up and they don't come up in a game and you like the concept. So you carry it over and you keep working on it. And, um, you know, we've, we've done that all week and, and it came up and we knew we were going to have a chance at it on any kind of third and probably two to three was when it would come up. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the nice, nice little fake motion and, and let those guys go block. And it's a lot that that to me is another long handoff. You know, it's just yeah, a, yeah. It's, it's a quick throw into the, into the perimeter and. And letting guys get in space and then Hayden did a great job of getting the first down. But that one was that one was pitch. He, he had nice design there and then we worked on it for a few weeks. I mean, you that got receivers a, that block, right? I mean, that's yeah. it. You've talked about this a bunch about how these are the best blocking receivers you've ever been around. I mean, when you have that, you can just have those guys be out there and be comfortable. You don't have to do something. I mean, Hugh Jackson back in the day used to take the tackles and tight yeah. ends and put them out on both ends. I used to call it two yard, two yard gain was the name of the play because it would never work. Uh, but I mean, it's like, it, but when we, the threat, when it's actually receivers out there that are blocking it, really, it does add a little bit more of a, you know, the, the honoring nature of the middle the field stays the same yeah and those are those are matchups that are that are favorable too our, our guys are tough and they're strong and they're physical and so you get to match them up on dvs in the perimeter you know that's those are those are good run matchups too as opposed to you know trying to double team you know great jared down there and <laughs> inside like so you just you're just trying to find matchups and, and sometimes those plays present you a more favorable matchup on the perimeter and again it's just whether we handed the ball off or just kicked it out behind the line of scrimmage they're all sort of the same to me and uh, it was a it was a really well executed play. Those guys block block their tails off on the perimeter. Uh, it was pretty impressive. It's a very easy throw for Joe to make. Um, Jamar talked about the opposite. The, the the second touchdown being the best throw that Joe has ever thrown him. Uh, Zach was asked yesterday. He pointed back to that game Joe's rookie year at Tennessee, where mm -hmm. Boyd was being held and Turner was right. So, what about you for for the three years that you've been with Joe? Is is there one that stands out as the best throw you've seen him make? Oh, I mean that one on TV against Tennessee yeah, was, that's, was pretty spectacular. That that's a rare, that's a rare throw that to ever see. Um, I will say though that throw to Jamar uh, for the touchdown was was really it was fun to watch for me. I, it was probably one of his better throws, but um, he's really worked hard on on getting those go balls uh, over the top and up and down when the safety's cheating on the hash, which yeah. everyone tends to do to Jamar. And so uh, that's that's a throw that's come with a bunch of work. Um, he's worked on that trajectory in that spot. Um, because we see so much cheat uh, on that hash to the near hash to Jamar, um, to see that executed in a game and, and see him place that perfect ball, uh, because those throws have to be perfect when they're when they're playing that kind of technique. And um, just as a fan of quarterbacks and, and the work it takes to get those types of throws, that was really fun to see. It was a really, really fantastic throw. I mean, there's not going to be many better than that, but I'd still give TBs the, the award for first. <laughs> I, I got to say, I it's it's the San Francisco throwing behind a guy running the other way in the back of the end zone for me. I, it's just one of the silliest things I've ever seen happen in a football game before. Yeah, that was that was that was also that probably is in, in that conversation in the top three. Uh, that, that was a pretty ridiculous throwing catch, too. Um, I have a this is a little bit of an off the wall question, but um, I'm curious, you guys have done such a good job, you know, defensively, obviously, with what they're doing in the second halves of games, but you guys were such a third quarter team last year and really have had these games where you, you've really taken control. What, what is your halftime routine? And, like, what is that like? I mean, you're, you guys, I guess, are sprinting to the elevator uh, to get yeah. down quickly, but like, what from the time the half ends to the time you have to be back up in your seat, it's so quick. What is your, what is that process for you? What's the routine and, and, and what are you getting out of that that you guys have been so effective at that you're not getting out of any other point in the game? 
it's hard to say. I think halftime does get a little bit overrated sometimes. You know, it, it's such a quick process. Um, usually leading the series or two leading up to halftime, depending on whether we had the ball at the two-minute spot or not, you know, whether we had a possession leading up to it or not. Um, we're usually already starting to talk about those things, where we want to head in the second half, what we like. Um, but those conversations are sort of ongoing throughout the game. And so we've, we've definitely got a list of plays as we've talked through things um, that, that maybe we haven't called yet that we still sort of have circled or, or ready to go um, whenever they come up. And so a lot of it is just regrouping those plays we've already talked about, adding a couple more things that, that you know, through the first part of the game, maybe we've seen their structure, they're playing us in a particular manner. Because once a team shows their, their game plan early, they tend to, to stay in it. Um, and so you get a pretty good feel as you move along what, what you're going to see in the second half. And so we go down there, we put a handful of plays, probably uh, Frank puts the runs up. We probably put maybe eight to 10 passes up and, and present to the players. We hit the protections to make sure everything, anything that came up that was new that we um, needed to handle, we handle those. And then we present about eight to 10 passes and, and then we go back at it again. So it happens really fast and it's usually not um, just, for just that moment. It's kind of a conversation leading into halftime and then um, finalizing our thoughts for the second half really, but it's, it's not, it's like, you know, usually an aha moment at halftime where we got all these beautiful new adjustments that we've made. It's sort of minor and, and we work through it and it's kind of been a, it goes, it's an ongoing process. Yeah. It seems like it's one of those where people talk about halftime adjustments. It's, <laughs> it's, I feel like you're only in there for like eight minutes, right? That's it's really, really it feels less than that. It's fast. Yeah. It's small. And, and you're, and there's just, it seems like you guys being able to coaches that are in the booth versus on the on the ground, maybe that's a good chance for you guys to recalibrate together. But I don't even know if that's necessarily the case for you. No, it's it's like I said. I think it's really it's really more of an ongoing conversation as yeah. as the game goes along. What are we what are we seeing early? What have they played in, in, in our base downs? What are they What are we getting on third down? And so uh, between me, uh, usually it's usually pitch and I and Troy, and then Zach pops in when he's not on the other side of the ball, and then we're just going through what, what, what's next, what do we like? Um, and sometimes it's really simple as that we just have a lot of calls we haven't called yet and, and we still like those. So there's not a whole lot of conversation. We just got to get to the calls that we like. Um, you know, some games like the Miami game was a big adjustment game where we were really kind of constantly trying to make adjustments because they were doubling Jamar and doubling TB and, and doing things that we hadn't really um, prepared for. But for the most part, it's a sort of an ongoing flow of conversation that, that, you know, halftime is just a continuation of it. And then it continues into the third quarter, into the fourth quarter. So, yeah, the halftime thing gets probably a little bit overblown, but uh, we tended to be good in the second half so far this year too. Yeah. I want to I get you out of here. Um, one last thing before you go, though. So my dad whips me at golf. He's 69 years old. Okay. <laughs> He's out here shooting his age. He's like a single-digit handicap. Uh, you know, I'm supposed to be the young spry one. I got a broken back, and I'm like popping a bottle when I sh break 90, right? Like, yeah. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Same. It irks me. It irks me a bit. Yeah. But that's a, like a one-on-one. -on -one. Like, that's like, you know, or like basketball in the driveway type stuff. I feel like that's different. Is there is there any part that – is there a competitive with you and your dad as you face off on Monday Night Football now again? Is that is that, or is it because of the team sport and the fact that you guys have both been coaches in it forever? Is there does that not necessarily exist? It's probably not the same, uh, quite the same as the the one on one golfing with your old man. It's probably <laughs> a little bit more competitive, but um, I think it would be different if like I was a defensive coordinator yeah. and he was on off. Like I think that would be a little more. I don't know how many times that's happened over the course of football, but the head to head thing would be probably pretty competitive. Um, but you know, we don't really go against each other and we're just 
a lot of things that we can't control on, on both sides that it's hard to get overly competitive about it. I mean, we certainly both want to win. Um, there's no doubt about that, but it's not a direct competition, you know? Um, so that's probably the best way to put it. I mean, yeah, so he doesn't want to lose to his son and, and you certainly want to beat your dad, but uh, I don't know that it's as direct as if we were just going to go out and play golf and see who shot the best score. It'd probably be a little more competitive in that setting uh, than yeah. it is on, on Monday. And I'm sure you will proudly say that uh, you beat your dad at golf consistently. Or are you going to put that out there? Uh, no, I mean, he was pretty good when he was playing. He hasn't played much as of late, but when yeah. he was playing, he was pretty good. I, I can't beat him. The problem is my brother's better than all of us, and so he just he kills us every time we go play. He's like a, <laughs> he's like a three handicap. It's silly. So, um, yeah, I can't beat him if I if, if I tried. I try to mind game him into self-destructing, but other than that uh, – <laughs> He's gonna be he's gonna be me and my dad every time by by quite a bit. I love it, Brian. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate you hopping in here and uh, enlightening. Congratulations on the uh, run that you guys have been on. But there's a long way to go. You know, it's like things are great today, but they can be terrible tomorrow. You just never know in yeah. the NFL. I can be really smart and really dumb in a really short amount of time. So <laughs> that's just sort of how it works. So we yeah. got, we got to work that out for us. Yeah, appreciate it, Brian. Right, Thanks yeah. for your Thank time. Thank you, Brian. You guys have a good one. All right, Brian Callahan, Bengals offensive coordinator, joining us. Uh, great of him to drop in and uh, drop in some insight. Um, I, I got to say, you know, great stuff from him on a number of topics. I I, I so enjoy the process of finding plays. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, the fact that you're like, yeah, you know, we ran it previously in 2019 against the jets and it didn't you know landmark we've been working on it since then i mean think of the you know how long ago that feels like and you you're you pluck into these um you know corners of their brain their offensive brain so to speak and it, it's just really interesting because that's you know jay you wrote about this for the season and i think we talk about it generally a lot but that is a specific example that happens all the time of the benefits of continuity in your coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Like you guys, you can go all the way back to stuff that you've been trying to work on that you've you've seen and developed, you know, for for, for now four years, and um, and you see stuff like that pay off, and that is exponentially so with continuity of personnel, which is I think part of what you see on the defensive side of the ball too, um, where they're able to to do so much and pull from so many different places. That continuity that, you know, I think has been thrown to the side by a lot of teams in the league, a lot of franchises, a lot of ownership groups, a lot of inpatient personnel staffs with their current players. That has not been valued as much, but I think you see it pay. You're seeing it pay off here in Cincinnati a lot. Sometimes it's, it's tossed aside by no choice of your own. I mean, your guys get plucked and it's hard to keep that continuity going. Um, that's kind of, maybe that's one of the silver linings from the first two seasons being so rough where now you see, they go to the Super Bowl last year. They've got things clicking this year. I mean, at this point I'd be stunned if, if all Zach and all three coordinators are back for a fifth year next year. It just feels like, I think Brian is a great candidate to, if not be a play caller somewhere to, to possibly be a head coach. And, and Lou, too, I think is going to get some looks with what he's done. And it is interesting he brings up that Jets game. I mean, that's that was the game. I'm, I'm sure they remember a lot about that game because that was their first win as a staff. They were 0-11 at that point. And 
a play that didn't hit is still fresh in his mind. It's, it's, you know, the, the, the ones that I, I think they do, they, the ones that do hit, they expected to hit. It's the ones that don't stick with these guys because they, they, they do, they spend so much time drawing them up and trying to get them to work and it should work and it doesn't. And then you, you go back and you, you tweak it and you keep working on it and you get what you got Sunday with the 60 yard bomb. All right, let's just take a quick break. Thanks again to Brian for joining us. A lot of good stuff there, and um, you know we'll have plenty to get to. Uh, we're going to have Mo coming up here in one second, but first I want to touch briefly uh, on some a conversation we had with the other coordinator uh, with Luana Rumo yesterday. The big conversation topic is obviously what's happened with Cam Taylor Britt and uh, Cam Taylor Britt's arrival. We talked about it yesterday. We we're asked about it um, on the live room, and you know, I think the thought was this this cleared to be a breakthrough moment because we know his stance on defensive backs rotating. He doesn't do it. He will never do it. He doesn't want to do it. <laughs> um, but I thought um, that's why it felt like Cam Taylor Brick getting 28 snaps to 16 for Eli Apple. Even if it was a game they felt like they had in hand and it was a good chance to find him reps was uh, a big deal. Here's Lou Rumo on that topic. Can you break down the 75-yard touchdown play? Was Jesse supposed to be of help there? And what was behind your decision to make the switch to put Cam in and sit Eli? Um, so, yeah, they just a simple pickup for us in that coverage. And, um, you know, they uh, didn't execute Vaughn and uh, Eli. So, um, and then we had planned on playing Cam, um, you know, and getting him, getting his feet wet. You know, injuries, things are going to come up during the season. So, um, um, you know, we just we had that plan going in, and then uh, I just felt like the game was we felt like the game was in hand. So, just you know, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything in preseason. He didn't do anything. So, as many reps as he could get um, um, will help him and us down the, as we go down the stretch. So, that being said, about what Eli uh, about Eli and Cam, are you is that an open competition going into this week? Is that are you just Eli no, still we're just, starter or no? No, we're just gonna you know like we do with every position, just keep going through the week, and those guys will you know I, I expect them both to play. I don't, I don't see any anything different. I just I want to keep getting Cam reps, and uh, that was the plan this week. It'll be the plan next week, and you know we'll go from there. A couple weeks ago, you were pretty adamant. You know, I don't, you know, like rotating guys where they're yeah. safety corners. You guys end up rotating. I mean, why the philosophical change now to go ahead and say, you know, we want to start taking yeah, in a perfect, players? yeah, in a perfect world, you don't want to be able to do that. But this is not a perfect world, and you're in a situation where you know you got a young guy. You got to, he had no preseason. You got to get him snaps at some point, other than uh, scout team reps. So yesterday was a perfect opportunity. So that's kind of how it played out. How you? How would you evaluate Eli season at this point? Done well. Yeah, so far, so good. Had a couple of miss. You know, listen, this is the NFL. Every corner gives up plays. Go, go look at all of them. The best. Show me one that did, and I'll show you. Uh, and, and I'll tell you a corner that has. So, it's a tough league when you're playing DB, and they're all going to get beat at some point. It's just how they respond. So that's what's important. You know him as well as anybody on the staff, Lou. Yeah. What do you think of his ability to handle things when they don't go well or when somebody else might get snaps that playing time that he's not in there? Yeah, you know, I, I thought he handled it fine yesterday. He knew going in that, there, you know, Cam was going to get some snaps. So, um, 
you know, he's, uh, I think he'll be fine. You know, I, I, I do. Um, but uh, we'll see how it goes. They're both going to play, you know, mm-hmm. and and the, the part that's interesting about that, I think, is, you know, the, a question about is you're not, this wasn't supposed to be your philosophy. You don't want to do this. Well, in an ideal world, no, this is not an ideal world. This is a world where they have to prepare for a scenario where if Cheetah Bay Ouzier or Eli Apple gets hurt, they have an answer and they want that answer to be Cam Taylor Britt. They've seen enough of him in practice to think that it can be, that it wouldn't be Trey Flowers um, or, or anybody else. And, but he has no he has not played at all like Lou said i mean he hasn't played and so they feel like they got to find a way to do that whether that's a series whether that's more whether that's the end of blowouts i think any opportunity you can see for them to play cam they're going to and i think if he plays well then they feel like okay now you you can hand it over to him and eli can be your backup yeah and it feels like that's the way it is going to go um it is interesting cuz they a lot of people kind of viewed it as a benching after Eli gave up the the deep pass. And that was, it was a bit of a miscommunication between Von Bell and Eli. And that, that's not what happened because they went back to Eli after that deep one. And then it was in the second half where, as he mentioned, it was, it felt like it was in hand. And that's when they really got Cam Taylor Britt in there. You don't get that many chances. We know what this league is. These games are tight down to the wire. Um, so that was the perfect opportunity to, and it was, it was interesting too that the first series they put Cam Taylor Britt in was that 16 yard touchdown drive that the Falcons have. Once they got in the red zone, they went back to Eli Apple, um, for those plays. So, uh, yes, you're going to see them both play, but it, it, what, what's really going to be telling is, is when Cam Taylor Britt gets in these games and does he stay in? If it's a close game, is he in there? Is, are they still rotating? Is he in on the key red zone snaps? Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep tracking that. But, you know, I, I just – the hard part was nothing really happened with him. Um, I know. You know, he, although we, I have to ask – I have to send an email over to PFF and explain your grade. They had a really low grade on Cam, but he was not really targeted. They didn't have him for any missed tackles. I mean, the, the ball never really came his way. I guess you're, you're judging whether it felt like he lost um, a particular route. Um, but the, like anybody, you had Lou, Zach, I mean, the people that we talked to about this all said, yeah, I mean, it was really hard to judge. You know, there was not really any action. There was not really anything to, you know, you're, you're trying to watch techniques and what he's doing. But when, when not much comes your way, um, I don't think it felt like there was a ton of, to really judge off of also part of the reason why you would see him slip in in more situations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've got, I think it speaks a little bit to how much they felt like that Atlanta game was one that they should uh, absolutely throttle. The, yeah. the Falcons. I mean, they felt very confident about it because, okay, they already had this plan in place. Like this could be a game where we get up by a bunch and we can get cam in the game. So let's go ahead and start that early and, and, and see if this and maybe Carolina, um, can, can be some games where you can get that guy some reps and then make some decisions at the bye week. So we'll see. It is that time of the week. Very exciting. Mo, what's going on? How are we doing, guys? What's happening? Doing, doing great. How are good, you good, doing? Good. Oh, I've never been better. That's good. Uh, so, Jay, do we have the tweet counter for the week on Mo? We do. 130 this week. And mm-hmm. his uh, most liked and his most... Uh, discuss tweet was the same one. 
And that was, there are a few things as a sports fan more enjoyable than being a football fan during the fourth quarter when your team is winning and the outcome isn't in doubt. I had fun. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Sounds like a shirt. It does. <laughs> uh, I, I had, before we get started, yeah. I have to know more about Dan Horde's love of barbershop quartets. Sure. Um, which you also tweeted about this weekend. I did not know this either, and I'm curious uh, how this came up and what we need to know. The SMU marching band, and I should know this because I've been to a lot of SMU games in Dallas because the Bearcats have played them a bunch. Um, so I don't know if this is their normal getup, but the marching band on Saturday, they were wearing barbershop quartet getups, like the striped jacket, the hat, and... It came up in conversation. My dad, God rest his soul, for reasons that I don't really understand, hated barbershop quartets. Hated. Like, <laughs> we once had this conversation, mimes versus barbershop quartets. My dad's <laughs> point of view was barbershop quartets attack two senses. Mimes, they're annoying. They're pointless. <laughs> but they don't say anything. Barbershop quartets get in the way. They attack your sight. They attack your hearing. This was my dad's point of view. As a result, by extension, I've come to not like barbershop quartets. Now, the caveat to that is I've never actually been in the company of a barbershop quartet. That's not really a modern day thing. I don't go to many places where they're like, hey, the evening's entertainment, barbershop quartets. This has been a big summer of weddings for me and my wife. We've gone to a bunch of weddings. The choice hasn't been band, DJ, or barbershop quartet. So <laughs> my my distaste for barbershop quartets is maybe a little bit irrational. It was just passed down to me by my dad, who, for whatever reason, I don't know if he had a traumatic experience with barbershop quartets when he was a young man. I don't know. He hated them. So I just said uh, to Dan, I think we were we were walking up to the to the radio booth and I just said something like, man, my dad hated barbershop quartets. And rather surprisingly, Dan said, quote, I kind of like barbershop quartets. <laughs> That's fine to each their own. I'm not a big, I going to tell you not to like what you like thing. If barbershop quartets are your thing, by all means, by all means. But that is something I was surprised by. I was, And then Dan, we talked about it on the air a little bit. Dan mentioned his affinity for barbershop quartets. And the great thing is, you know, I've worked with Dan for like 20 years. The, the great thing about, you know, working with him, though, is you always learn other stuff. You know, it's a, you think, you know, everything about a guy and then bam, in the middle of a Dallas trip, where UC's playing SMU, he informs you he's a barbershop quartet guy. That's not something I would have guessed. It sounds like more of a you thing. Uh, than, I mean, he had a very like calm. I kind of like him, and you, you. But this is just this well. Is he did of- double down on it on the air because we were describing the barbershop quartet getup that the SMU band was wearing for some reason. It was mm-hmm. hot. Um, in the pregame, one of the uh, the band members went down. I assume it was heat related. I hope they were okay. But that 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 outfit. I don't think you would call that a uniform I, a costume. That costume uh, didn't look like it was, you know, the, the smartest thing to put on. Although I guess a marching band costume or a uniform, that would be a uniform. The marching band uniform can be sort of heavy, I guess. But the, the barbershop quartet, he was emphatic. He likes barbershop quartets. And again, great. I just, it's not something I would have guessed. I was really anticipating Dan mentioning like, yeah, his shared irrational hatred for barbershop quartets <laughs> aligning him with my dad and instead he pivoted in the completely opposite direction 
Dan likes to sing. I, I hope he can find three other people and do a barbershop quartet on the Bengals booth podcast. Yeah, you know, or a Halloween costume, you know, for oh. for like him and wow. Jim Kelly. Maybe maybe Mo, you could be a part of that, and we can maybe Tommy G. We could throw in there as a, a good we could bring a him good. back to, to be <laughs> a yeah. part of our. Yeah, quartet. I think I think that Tony just Pike feels, or somebody. Yeah, yeah, Tony Pike. You guys could be yeah. a good barbershop quartet together. Well, then I'd have to sing, and nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, that that's fair. Uh, we as much as all right. Thanks, Mo. Good to talk about barbershop <laughs> quartets with you. Uh, <laughs> As much as we could continue on with that, I do want to. I do want to talk a little bit about the Bengals. I, I will say this: uh, in in your in your from in your mind, I mean, you know, I I think it's important to the same way it was important to not overreact to some of the struggles and and some of the work, bad moments early in the season. You know, you try not to overreact to beating up on a pretty bad Atlanta defense that looked very lost in the same really in a, in, this, in a lot of respect with the saints beat up both both missing their top corners a lot of things are you able to uh couch the excitement or did you come away from do you come away from this feeling like okay taking back all things said uh about play calling and this offense <laughs> and it's all fixed now or are you somewhere in the middle um i'm not in the middle i mean i i i would probably be accused of overreacting but but for two reasons that i think i could explain number one uh the performance on sunday you acknowledge atlanta's defense you had practice squad guys covering jamar chase that that was a defense right for the picking we we acknowledge that um but this has been the continuation i think i think of a three-week trend and something tony and i were on the air together on on sunday morning and we talked extensively about you know the previous two games the Bengals offense started to check off boxes. They ran the ball more effectively against Baltimore. They started to do a, a visibly a better job of protecting Joe Burrow. And as frustrating as the loss was, if, uh, if you were being optimistic and, and you know me, I'm, I'm always optimistic. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you kind of came away from that game going, all right, there's kind of something to build on here. And then, okay, the next step is the saints game. Um, they did some things offensively that we really hadn't seen them do. Like, Throw the ball to the middle of the field. Get Boyd and Hurst involved. Um, I mean, to me, that was, you know, Paul, you and I talked about it last week. I, I, you look at the box score, and the thing that stood out to me more than anything were 6-61 and 61 for Tyler Boyd. Plus, they got high-end quarterback play that had been lacking the previous five weeks. And so, a step in the right direction. So, the next thing was going to be get off to a fast start. We spent, you know, all week talking about, God, the Falcons can run the football, and you don't have Reader, and you don't have Tupo, and you don't have... Uh, uh, Logan Wilson. And so what's the antidote to that? It's get off to a fast start, man. The Bengals have this repeated pattern of digging themselves holes early in games because the offense is very good. The next step is get off to a fast start. So I've seen three consecutive weeks when I've seen this team start to do things that I think can last. So there's that, but then there's also what we watched on Sunday is what we spent all off season envisioning. Um, maybe not the, the complete and total ease with which they scored early in the game, but if I would have said to you back in June, Joe Burrow is going to have first quarters when he's 13 for 15 for a buck 96 and two touchdowns, you would have said, yeah, that means everybody's healthy, right? Well, yeah. And so what I saw on Sunday from the offense, fully operational, fully healthy, is what we spent all offseason talking about. So why shouldn't I now think that to a degree, 
this is now the norm. You know, after the Pittsburgh game, we all acknowledged frustrating as hell. Joe Burrow's performance, complete and total outlier. He's never going to have a five turnover game. I think that was one of my bets that we can't cash until his career is over. Um, (laughs) He's never going to do that. And by the way, they still almost won the game. What doesn't feel like an outlier? Joe and Jamar and Tyler Boyd torching opposing defenses. Now, yes, they will play more formidable secondaries. They'll play better teams. They'll play teams that are better equipped to, to maybe try to keep up with them offensively. Atlanta certainly was not. But I don't think it's a total overreaction to go, all right, here we go. They're four and three. It feels like they've kind of survived the first month and a half of the season. Offensively, they couldn't be healthier. They're trending upward. They've had things they can build on. Now they're getting high-end quarterback play from a guy we thought would give them high-end quarterback play. I don't know how you don't get at least somewhat wrapped up in that. Now, are they going to stumble? Are they going to have bad games? Yes. I mean, you know, that it's the NFL. It's how, how it works. Um, but I, I don't think it's an overreaction to kind of go, okay, the Bengals offense is where it should be. And as a result, this team can take off now, especially given the fact that the games they have in front of them are exceptionally winnable. I mean, w- where it should be is the key phrase there because you, you've been around for a long time. How many times have we seen – this franchise lay an egg in a game it should win. And Mm yes, New Orleans was banged up. Atlanta was banged up. They did what they were supposed to do. No one's beating their chest and saying, look how great the the offense is because of the numbers they put up, but they, they did what they were supposed to do. They, they, they won that game handily. And I I said it earlier in the year, I predicted that they were going to lose one of three games, the jets, the Falcons or the Panthers, because that's what this team always does. They, they tend to lay an egg against a, or have a clunker against a a team that they should beat jets are way better than we thought they were going to be. They won that game by double digits. They, they blew out the Falcons. The other one left is Carolina. Um, But it is, I I think that's what the, the, the most encouraging part is because if you just say, you look at this roster and say, if they just do what they're supposed to do, this team's going to be fine. And you're starting to see them do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, look, I, you know, uh, I thought Atlanta was going to cover the six and a half. I thought they were going to create a, a, you know, a a low possession football game, attack the middle of that Bengals defense, take advantage of who wasn't out there. um, And that the, the trend of slow starts would continue. And, and you know, that, that to me is kind of the next step, right? Establish a pattern of fast starts Uh, because the most frustrating thing for me has been just how much they've dug themselves holes early in games. I've beaten it to death. I think nine of their last 16 games that have counted, they've they've faced double-digit deficits or two-score deficits in the hmm. in the first half, in the first quarter, most of them. So n- now reestablish a pattern where you're playing from ahead. If this team plays from ahead, th- they're going to win the overwhelming majority of the time. I just I feel that way about this defense. I, I feel this way about I feel that way about this offense. And so you know, but you talk about like, you know, right when you feel like things are going in the right direction and you're comfortable and you're good to go. And now here we go. They stubbed their toe. The Browns game, the first Browns game that the Browns game that counted would be a primary example of that. Right. Like we mm-hmm. we kind of talked about. All right. Here. Here they go. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember who they were. They were coming out of. They had just gone to. What what was what was the sequence of games last year when they played Cleveland? It doesn't matter. Burrow throws a pick six on the first drive of the game, and they end up getting smoked. And you know they've they've sort of been cursed in games against the Browns. 
um, minus that week 18 game last year, which didn't count. So, yeah, I mean, to a degree. All right, check off the box of avoiding that letdown against Cleveland. Check off the box of beating the Browns um, in a game that actually matters. Check off the box of winning a division game. But, you know, again, uh, I mean, the, the optimism for this team this season was based on a fully healthy offense with a ton of different weapons and a better offensive line. Well, if that's what we were excited about, and that's what we saw. They lost the Jets game before Cleveland last year. So it's not yeah, a, an apples to apples comparison. But anyway, one of those clunkers. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but but if if what I saw on Sunday meshes with what I thought we would see all offseason long, why shouldn't I get excited? Why shouldn't I now assume that this team is ready to take off? And again, the key thing is health. Um health is, you know, was was their greatest asset last year in their run to the Super Bowl. From an offensive standpoint, it's the greatest asset right now. It's why it's so important to win these games while they are healthy on that side of the football. And yeah, that's that's been diminished certainly on defense. But you've you've got those five weapons. You've got a healthy offensive line. I know Lyle Collins came out of the game, but the Kemet Energy played fine. In fact, better than fine on Sunday. And I've got Joe Burrow playing at a high level. Why shouldn't I assume they're not going to win the overwhelming majority of their games moving forward? No question. You've got a team that now, uh, you know, I, I, I tend to, especially early in the year, you can start looking at, uh, you know, point differential and the teams that are at the top of point differential te- typically end up the ones, the top few seeds. Bengals top three in point differential right now. Look, I mean, to, to beat them, it's going to be close and there's a good chance they might blow you out. I mean, that's the, that is the characteristics of good teams in this league from Buffalo to Kansas City to the Bengals. They're a clear <clears throat> tier difference and quarterback play is the same. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow are playing on a different level than almost anybody else in the AFC. That's the difference makers in the teams that are going to be around at the end. It's going to be fun to watch those three teams play each other. You know, all of them will uh, with the Bengals still having the Bills and the Chiefs on their schedule, getting both of them here uh, at Paycor Stadium, uh, because, you know, that's really the level that you expect them to be playing at at, at that point and at this point and where they where they look like they are uh, before um, uh, we get out of here. We got to recap best bets. Uh, Jay, I believe there's some winners on the plates from last week. At least I know I had one. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, we don't. I'd rather not recap these, but I guess we have to. Um, I I had Joe Mixon longest reception under twelve point five. He had a twenty two, so I lost that one. I uh, got crazy, did a three team parlay, won the first two legs. New England let me down last night, Ooh. so I I dropped all twenty units last week. Um, break. Paul had T over T Higgins over 75 and a half receiving yards, which he beat with 93. He had the Browns plus six against the Ravens. He won both of his uh, Mo, as he mentioned earlier, had Falcons plus six and a half. That was a loss, but Mo hit a parlay. He had chiefs minus three giants plus two and a half, uh, 10 unit wager to that returned 26. So um, this is getting out of hand. Um, <laughs> are so poor at this. Paul plus one twenty, Mo plus eighty five point four, me minus twenty nine point four. Oh, not good. Good thing that it's not hurting you anywhere other than in your own pride. Exactly. Uh, I appreciate. It. All right, so what are we going with this week, boys? Uh, I'll start. Um, I'm, I'm gonna for my Bengals one. I'm gonna take Jacoby Brissett under one and a half touchdown passes against the Bengals. He's only thrown more than one touchdown pass in one game this year. Uh, we know he's not going to throw one in the second half because the Bengals don't give up any touchdowns in the second half. So that means he has to throw two in the first half. So I'm going under there, uh, but I'm going to do that for 15. And then I'm, I'm going to try to catch up 
uh, do a five-unit parlay. Jets plus two and a half against the Patriots, who are bad. Bears plus ten and a half against Dallas. And uh, Pittsburgh's really bad, but they don't, they don't. They just don't get blown out. So I'm going to go Pittsburgh plus eleven at Philly. Three-team parlay. Are we allowed to make the same wager? Sure. Brissett under one and a half touchdown passes. <laughs> How is this defense giving up two touchdown passes to Jacoby Brissett? Yeah. Unless it's garbage time. Unless it's garbage time, right. I mean, I, th- this defense, which doesn't allow second half touchdowns. So, okay, he's going to throw two in the first half. I, uh, You have a better chance of, of me not stealing half of my daughter's Halloween candy that night than <laughs> of that happening. So... Sort of along the lines of of what we just talked about. So Atlanta loses. They kind of get throttled. And now it's like, all right, the shine is off of this rather surprising team. And they're playing the Panthers, who just smoked Tom Brady. That was all about the Buccaneers being awful. It was all about Tom Brady being washed. There I said it. Uh, Atlanta's laying six. Atlanta's going to cover the number against the uh, Carolina Panthers. The overreaction week will... Uh, manifest itself with the public taking Carolina because they won and because Atlanta lost teams that have covered in blowout fashion, meaning they covered 26 plus. So the the points they were getting and then what they won by this, this century, 49, 77 and six against the spread the following week, taking the Falcons. There it is. You're, you're just so in depth. You know, it matters to you, and, that, well, and that's that's I, important. I, like, no, I I feel like a, a jerk because I'm like I feel like I copied Jay with my Jacoby Brissett. How are we? How are the three of us not each taking that? Right. <laughs> well, Paul hasn't gone yet. Maybe he is. I haven't uh, gone yet. I'm not. I'm not taking that. Uh, I although I do think I have something that's just as good. Um, I'm gonna say the one the the off bet. I'm gonna do half of mine, so ten on Ravens covering one and a half. At Tampa, you know, I hate road teams on the Thursday game. I hate that. However, I'm going to keep buying the like, the only reason this line is what it is, is respect mm-hmm. to Tom Brady. That's the only reason this thing is only one and a half the Ravens being favored in this game. Uh, because there's no reason that if you just blind resume these two teams uh, that that you would have it only be one and a half. It would be much higher. Uh, I I think the Ravens, although the Ravens love to allow comebacks and they seem to find themselves in a lot of tight games, uh, they'll. I th- certainly think that uh, Justin Tucker can get them one where they win by more than one and a half. So I'll have them beating Tampa on Thursday. Uh, and then the other half of uh, my units will be directed towards Joe Burrow over passing yards. I don't know what that number is yet. I do not care. Uh, I think that uh, the, the string will continue uh, against a Brown secondary that has done its fair share of giving up big plays this year. So I got the other half on Burrow over whatever the heck the number ends up being for him this week. I think I saw 286 and a half. Um, over so yeah yeah i'll take it <laughs> i think he's they've got it going he's hot um and certainly cleveland is susceptible at this point um all right mo appreciate your time as always i will see you this afternoon from three to four at more line logger house where um maybe we can do another segment no we got to start with make fun of stuff is that where barbershop quartets is going to come in well <laughs> Barbershop Quartet and then the the naked guy who after the game got arrested for allegedly trying to fight everybody. 
Yeah. I, I want to find out who that guy was. I've, I've been looking for a name. Does he live oh, in Oh, I've got the name. Uh, I've, oh, you do? I've got the name. I've, I've, I've got pictures that haven't been made public. Oh, I, yes. Wow. <laughs> what, what part <laughs> of town is he from? That I don't know. Okay. I've seen his social media and I'm, I'm sort of loath to talk about that publicly because he's got pictures of his kids on there and stuff. And yeah, and, you know, but yeah, he's, he's got a heavy social media presence and, and there's one of his social media outlets features a photo of him and he's naked. So, <laughs> so we, um, well, we're going to we'll, talk about him. We will talk about that. I, I look, I'm sure everyone looking forward to that conversation, including me, but we got to make fun of stuff today. We got to remember to do that. We've last two weeks. It's gotten pushed back by Bengals talk. Make fun yeah. of stuff. <laughs> I'm coming prepared. Make fun All right. of stuff. We we'll see this afternoon. That. All right. See you guys. Bye. See you. Okay. Uh, thanks to Mo, as always, for joining us. And Jay, you've really, you've really got to get. I we I, you got to get yourself back on track. That's all. It's just that's you can do it. Focus. That's what parlays are for. Yeah. No, it's not. That's not how this works. <laughs> this is, it goes way worse when you start acting like that. Uh, okay. Um, let's dive into some. Arby's time here, right? We've got uh, any related Bengals inside extras and stories. Jay, what do you got? I I hesitate to do this one because I don't know how sick people are of ping pong, but uh, we I took notice yesterday that Jesse Bates showed up on the A table. I've not seen Jesse Bates play ping pong all year. I think he's sandbagging. He was he is really good. Um, he might be one of the better ones on the team. Uh, Charlie Goldsmith and I were were critiquing as charlie does charlie does play. i mean he there's nothing and, charlie loves to do more than rank every Bengals players ping pong prowess he, it was very good but the other one was um talking to trent taylor about his backflips and i you know i said what back of your mind you you worried about hurting yourself i mean maybe pulling a grammatica and landing wrong and, and he said that would be really really embarrassing but he he is not worried about that at all he said his mom was miss fitness tennessee and miss fitness georgia and she had them doing flips and gymnastics since they were little and this is just something he's done his entire life and uh, as i wrote in the story he, he was he was too far back in the miami game so he made sure which isn't probably ideal for victory formation if something does go wrong, but he made sure he got closer to Joe Burrow so he would be on the TV copy and the announcer mentioned it. And um, we'll see. They they who Trent said whoever gets the least amount of run, whichever receiver gets the least amount of run in the game is the one that goes back for that back spot in um, in victory formation. So uh, it, it's usually him because his snaps are usually limited to one or two uh, per game. Miss Fitness, Tennessee, and Georgia. Wow. Yeah. How about that? I mean, that's how you end up a professional football player, I guess. <laughs> uh, unbelievable. Uh, okay. Mine, this one is short, so this is the opposite of the one from the Saints game um, because it was uh, uh, meant to be short, I would, I guess I would say. So we enter the locker room yesterday, and as we go, it's a, – a, little behind the scenes. So on Mondays after games, I mean, players come in, they have their meeting, and they all basically leave. They, mm-hmm. When the locker room opens for us, everyone is leaving for the day, essentially, the vast majority, except guys that have to stay for treatment or have a big ping pong battle set uh, <laughs> on table A. Um, but they just all kind of bolt pretty quickly. And so, 
you know, the idea of getting somebody that you need, really need to talk to is, is harder to do. Uh, so we walk in and the whole rush goes by. I don't see my target. And all of a sudden I look over, there's Trey Hendrickson standing at his locker, uh, by himself. He's, he's on his phone. Um, very kind of, you know, directly just looking down on his phone. And so I just kind of lean in and he said, Oh, Hey Trey, do you have, do you have a second? And he just very loud, not loudly, but very, let's just say aggressively just says, I do not. And just keeps going away on his phone without looking up for a second. Like (laughs) it was just, now this happens. Okay. Like, Guys that don't want to talk have a whatever they mm-hmm. this happens all all the time where they just don't want to talk today and usually with injury stuff yeah it's usually a nah I mean some people play it nicer it was pointed out that Logan Wilson was asking oh I I have this massage I got to get to <laughs> oh okay that's that's fine like whatever you want to say you don't I understand guys not wanting to talk about their injuries especially guys that aren't back yet totally understandable it just cracked me up the method like it was the most Trey Hendrickson way to to say no <laughs> I do not. Just not looking up for a second while he just kept going away on his phone. Uh, okay. You have to respect that. I got to respect he, did, he doesn't. Didn't waste your time. Didn't waste my time. I didn't want to waste his. Uh, and, and off we went in our own separate directions. Uh, you know, very much understanding the other person's uh, feelings about the situation. So, that, again, a quick one. But I uh, just thought that was a, a funny little nugget from yesterday. All right, Jay. Uh Growler bet we know, as we informed you during the walkout, uh, we didn't allow anybody on Sunday to say zero Falcons runs of 15-plus yards. They had had 15 on the year right? Uh, in six games, and the Bengals didn't allow a single one. They allowed only 3.7 yards per carry. Uh, hell of a day for the Bengals' run defense. Uh, Jay Tufele. Uh, PFF had him as the highest graded Bengals defender by a long stretch. He had four stops, no missed tackles from the defensive tackle position. Um, you know, that's a no. tip of the cap to the Bengals player personnel department to get Jay Tufele, who was drafted by the Jags last year um, in the fourth round, who the Bengals were going to take. Basically, they, they had him on the top of their list before the Jags stole him right in front of them. And uh, being drafted by the Urban Meyer Jags might be the toughest spot for any pick in the NFL. (laughs) Like to not get the most out of your potential. There's just a total cataclysmic train wreck happening around you while you try to like learn what the NFL is like. And then they cut you and now you land here. Now the Bengals are like, sweet, we'll take it. And looked like a dude. Looked like a real dude those last and when he's gotten chances the last couple of weeks. Uh, uh, so that said, a big part of the Bengals' run defense doing so well. Yeah, another tackle for loss last week, and um, it, it is. It's it's not just a guy kind of showing up and, and filling some spot. They needed that. That is a, a elite rushing attack. You're down Tupo. You're down Reader. I mean. Hard to underestimate how important his role was and how well he's playing. And I, I think, you know, probably earning some more playing time, even once Reader and Tupo are back, that, that go into more of a rotation there. All right. Uh, run passer boot recaps. What do we got? So this one's interesting. Um, I, I'll start it. The one we did was what will be greater? 
Falcons red zone percentage, Bengals rushing yards, or Joe Burrow third down passing yards. Joe Burrow, you had that great story about how crazy his numbers have been on third down. Threw for 481 yards. How many third down passing yards do you think Joe Burrow had? So he did major damage on first down in this game. And and I mean, really every down, but particularly early on. And they didn't have a, as many third downs as you would think. There weren't as they they were a little more explosive. 80? 43. 43. That's it. <laughs> he was five of seven for 43 yards on didn't third need down. It. Didn't, didn't need, need it. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we both booted Atlanta red zone percentage. It was a hundred. They were one for one. So, uh, and then Bengals rushing yards were 78. So we both missed on that one. Uh, the other one we had was what will be greater Falcons rushing yards, Kevin Huber net punting yards or Bengals total yards on their first two drives. Mm. Um, you ran with Falcons rushing yards. It was 107. I ran with the Bengals yards on their first two drives, which was 159. Uh, that, that one hit. Kevin Huber, net punting yards, 29. He only had two punts, but when one gets returned 56 yards, that's going to kill your net average. Yeah, that does not help. Um, all right. Not too bad. Um, we did okay. Yeah. We'll see. We shall see. Uh, all right. Let, let's wrap it up. That'll be enough. Thanks to Brian Callahan, Moegger, for joining us on today's episode. We will, of course, be back uh, later this week, pushing back a day. So Friday, we will uh, we will have the next episode this week. But don't worry. There's plenty for you to go through in the archives. Walkout, live room, today's episode, all sitting there for you to get you to that long extra bridge uh, to a Friday show because everything for the Bengals is pushed back one day this week. Uh, they're off today and Wednesday, so they'll go Thursday, Friday, excuse me, Thursday, Friday, Saturday with kind of their practice schedule before heading up to Cleveland on Sunday, game Monday night. Reminder, live room next Monday while you're waiting around on pins and needles for the Monday night football game. Uh, At noon, we'll have another live room for you to talk about everything that's going to come that night. So plenty of content, plenty of content uh, here for you, and we'll keep churning it out. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will uh, talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.